It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. וככה זה גם עלה, יהודים נשמה בוערת. בכל מקום ובכל ארץ, לא רוצה שיהיה אחרת. יהודי עני, זה משהו נצחי. בני אברהם, יצחק ויעקב, בני שרה
we sing a song on Friday night on Shabbos we are one our creator and our soul Sit Shabbos our day of peace to all our brothers that we greet Shabbat Shalom Likulam come sing with me one heart one soul is
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, and I, I usually am not speaking uh, to you this early in the program, but I heard a rumor that on bus number 417 in Israel, on bus number 417 in Israel, uh, someone actually asked the driver for the microphone and then asked everybody on the bus to tune into the Nachum Siegel Network. So a special shout-out to bus number 417 on an Erev Shabbos in the Holy Land from all of us here at JM in the AM. We continue next with this from Diaspora. Tzadik, katamar yifra, ke'erez balvanon yizgeh, ketulim bevet Hashem, bevet Hashem. Tzadik, katamar yifra, ke'erez balvanon yizgeh, Shetulim bevet Hashem, bevet Hashem. Ot yanovon b'seva, t'shenin l'ranelim yehiyon, l'hakik v'yashat Hashem, t'shulim, v'lo avlatabon.
JM in the AM on this Friday, December 9th, the 9th of Kislev. Good morning, everybody. It's the brand new year, 5777, Tuf and Zion, Erev, Shabbos, Parshas, Vayetze, Candlelighting, New York area, 408. 408, Candlelighting in this area. 32 degrees outside. We've got uh, 59% humidity, Windsor Wester at 11 miles an hour. Mostly sunny, windy today with a high temperature of 40. Tonight, clear skies, a low of uh, 30 degrees. Partly cloudy for tomorrow with a high temperature of 39. 54 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 32 here in New York. As we say good morning at JM and the AM and get ready for a wonderful Shabbos, I'm sure. A great weekend, etc., etc. Uh, we complete our first full week of being all digital, and I thank everybody around the world for um, being so dedicated and loyal. And making sure to tune in. Tell everybody you know, friends, relatives, colleagues, everybody you see over the weekend, how easy it is, how wonderful it is, how incredible it is to listen to the uh, free broadcast of this radio program and all of its phenomenal uh, uh, programming that follows each and every day. Let them know. Let them know how great it is, how wonderful it is, how much you enjoy it. Malcolm Honeline, just over an hour from now, we'll do our weekly update, discover uh, hopefully some of the things that are happening in this world. I'm going through some of the articles that I want to bring up. I'll tell you some of these things when it comes to Israeli politics are so confusing. It's unbelievable. We'll try to get to the bottom of it coming up here at JM and the Amr. By Yudin, of course, he'll uh, speak about the Torah portion. Naomi Nachman, the great chef herself, is going to join us. You know the big news. She's been uh, working hard on her brand new book with Art Scroll. She has a great show coming up at 9 o'clock this morning. There's um, a lot happening. We'll speak to her before 9, before we get to her program. And, of course, our friends at Kedem, they uh, present an amazing Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. And I'm giving a special shout-out this morning to Kedem and to Bartanura. It's obvious that a lot of people are are very into our brand-new video about the Pinot Grigio. If you haven't seen it yet, later on, you can check it out at the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. Again, that's the Nahum Siegel Network page on Facebook. Um, it's, a, it's a piece of the amazing winery show we did a couple of Sundays ago in Italy. And it really has a uh, has just a, an, an, amazing, an amazing tom to it, if you will. You'll see what I mean when uh, when you check it out. And um, and and watch it. So that's the uh, the video uh, we'll, we'll call it Pinot Grigio from Bartonura, and that's up there on the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. Want to thank those commenting on our app. Oh, oh let me tell you who was uh, playing for you, who was singing for you. Yaakov Shweki with Eight Record. You heard Hodu done by Yehuda. Diasporas Tzadik come back from the Moshav band. Aryeh Kunstler had Mizmor Shir. Rock who. That's Ari Goldwag, Benny Freeman, and Ivri Anochi. Big, big, big hit. And Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up. I want to thank those commenting on our app. If you have anything to tell us whatsoever from anywhere around the world, it's very easy to tell us. Go to the uh, home screen on your NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android or iPhone, and you'll see it says add a comment. You add that. We see it. We often comment on your comments. And uh, that's always uh, a lot of fun and also very informative in terms of what you want to hear or what you have to say regarding our programming. So let us know by commenting on the app. Avramel, he's next. You're listening to JM in the AM.
JM and the AM. It's Yoel Sharabi, of course. Uh, Shalom Aleichem. Uh, before that, Avramel, Avram Fried, off of the Yankel Yankel CD, with his version of uh, Shalom Aleichem, or I should say one of the versions of uh, Shalom Aleichem. Um, what else did we do in that half hour? We had Eretz Tova, done by uh, Psachia, Eitan Freilachs, Eitz Chaim, Sameach, done by Avramel, that's Avram Fried, and Eit Rakod, that, of course... Was Yaakov Shweki. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Heard exclusively around the world at com, the NSN network, and of course the NSN app. And I thank you for joining us and being part of this amazing radio experience. In the background, we've got the Galitzal. Israel Army Radio News is coming up. We'll do that for everybody in just a moment. As we thank you for tuning in and being part of this experience. Don't forget, we have incredible programming all through the weekend. Uh, Naomi Nachman is going to be joining us later on. She does Table for Two coming up uh, this morning, starting at 9 a.m., right after JM and the AM. Chef Yoni Seletsky, cookbook author Amy Stupnicki. Um, they are guests of Naomi. Amy will discuss her new book, Kosher Taste. Simon Springer, owner of Gourmet Roasters Collective, will also be part of it. And uh, the Kitchen Click is sponsoring some great contests and giveaways on Table for Two. Pay careful attention for that coming up at 9 a.m. this morning. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to Jamie. Galay Tzal, Shah Shtaim, Khan Shibel Karmi Mansour, in Mashakore Akshav. Avner Raguvno, Benachatesren, Ifzakashe, Akharation, Aflu, Bemalach Tiul, Bemidbar Yehuda, Katavenu Ramishani. אבובנו שהשתתפו בטיול משפחות בנחל צהלים במדבר יהודה נפלו מגובה רב באזור המצוקים בהם הירידה נעשית באמצעות סולמות המחוברים לסלעים יחידת החילוץ מערד בסיוע הצוות של יחידת החילוץ האווירית הגיעו אליהם אנשי רפואה קבעו את מותו של האב והחלו לטפל בבן הם העבירו אותו באמצעות מסוק צבאי לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע תושבי עמונה טוענים כי עודכנו שפינוי המאחז לא יתבצע בימים הקרובים. כתבנו בשטחים עם בעל תמיר. מטה המאבק בעמונה פרסם הודעה בה נכתב בעקבות פגישה שלנו עם בכירים במערכת הביטחון, דווחנו כי נוכח כוונת המדינה להגיש בקשה דחייה לבגץ, הפינוי לא יתבצע בימים הקרובים. לאור זאת נכתב בהודעה אפשר לחזור לשגרה ולנשום עמוק. לנצל את הימים הקרובים להמשיך ולמצות כל אפשרות, לתבוע מנבחרי הציבור ובראשם שר החינוך וראש הממשלה לעמוד בהתחייבותם ולמצוא פתרון להסדרת המונה במקומה. צה"ל עצר פלסטיני חמוש מעזה שחצה את הגדר לכיוון ישראל, כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. החשוד נעצר בסמוך לגדר המערכת בצפון רצועת עזה מבלי שהספיק להתרחק, והוא היה תחת מעקב מהרגע שחצה אותה. בחיפוש עליו הותרו רימון וסכין, הוא נעצר והועבר לתחקור כוחות הביטחון. בשעה זו מובאים להארכת מעצר שלושה חשודים ברצח אריאל וואסי, בן 22, הלילה בפתח תקווה. וואסי נדקר למוות בקטטה בין חבורת צעירים במסיבת שחרור שהיו בהשפעת אלכוהול. הפרקליט הבכיר אורי קור בחשוד בעבירות מין יצא לחופשה של שבועיים. כתבתנו דור מימון. בעקבות מידע חדש שהגיע לידי היועץ המשפטי לממשלה אביחי מנדלבליט, הוחלט לפתוח מחדש את החקירה נגד הפרקליט הבכיר אורי קורב, שנחשד בעבר בעבירות מין בפרקליטה שעבדה עמו במחוז ירושלים. הבוקר הוא ביקש לצאת לחופשה בת שבועיים בעקבות פתיחת החקירה מחדש, בקשתו אושרה והמקרה נמצא בבדיקת משרד המשפטים והמשטרה. הולך רגל בן 60 נפצע קשה בראשו מפגיעת רכב בנתניה. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת כי צוות של מגן דוד אדום פינה אותו לבית החולים מאיר בכפר סבא. 
הפוליטיקאי ההולנדי חרט ווילדרס הורשע בהסתה נגד מוסלמים. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. בית המשפט שעל יד אמסטרדם החליט שלמרות ההרשעה לא יוטל עונש על המנהיג ההולנדי. המשפט נגד וילדרס החל לפני כשנה, אז הוא אשם בהסתה לאחר שאמר באחד מנאומיו כי ידאג לכך שיהיו פחות מרוקנים בהולנד. עם היוודע פסיקת בית המשפט מסר וילדרס כי ערער על ההרשעה, הגדיר אותה טירוף, וטען כי השופטים מוטים נגדו. אצלנו מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, קר מהרגיל בעונה, במוצאי השבת ייתכן טפטוף בצפון ולאורך החוף. לעוד עדכונים חפשו גל"צ בטוויטר. אלה החדשות שעורך ניתאי ענבי בצוות שילה פריד ודור אבידן.
Shake 
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's JM in the AM. Can't deny the fact that we're playing amazing music. Seems to be a, a habit we got into, I don't know, about 30 years ago. Just can't can't shake that habit for some reason. 22 minutes after the hour, it's Friday on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Vayetze with Kendall Lighting at 4.08 in the New York area. Mordechai Shapiro's Ivdu, Yerdesh Heil done by Simcha Liner. Baruch Levine, words from this week's Parsha, Ufaratsta. Thank you to the listener who suggested that. On our app, one of the app comments about getting a uh, a song on regarding um, regarding uh, the Pusuk Ufaratsta from this week. Bowie Vishalom done by Cole Zimra. Songs of A.B. Rottenberg is the name of their album here at JM in the AM. A lot of great app comments. I want to thank everybody. Oh, yeah, someone asked for news in English. Matis points out that Sunday morning on JM Sunday, there is news from Israel in English, so keep that in mind. Also, Matis has a scheduled Rhonda Rosenheck for this coming uh, Sunday. She's author of Yiddish Yoga. Yiddish Yoga is her book. Matis speaks with her this coming Sunday on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream on our network. NahumSiegel.com, NSN app, etc., etc. Listener Morris says, amazing music selection this morning. Keep up the great work. Shabbat Shalom to the entire world. Thank you, Morris. Um, what else do we have out there? Sandy says, keep in mind, Ilan Rafael Bentova Rifka. Ilan Rafael Bentova Rifka for Rafur Shlema. And, of course, uh, we thank everybody who participates whenever we ask for special prayers for a Rafur Shlema. You're listening to JM and the AM. Plenty more coming up. We'll do our community calendar. Malcolm Holmline, of course, with the weekly update. We'll speak with him coming up here at JM and the AM, about 7.40 Eastern Time. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, he's getting ready for Parshas Vayetze. Naomi Nachman's going to join us. Many of you know that she's got a brand new cookbook coming out in the early part of 2017. We'll speak about that. Special shout-out to Livingston, New Jersey. A week from tonight, I will be there. Congregation 8 Chaim has invited me, and I thank Rabbi Klibanoff and the entire congregation. We'll be there uh, a week from tonight, spending Shabbat in Livingston, New Jersey. And I'm looking forward to a uh, to a wonderful Shabbat there. I know there are a lot of great listeners out there. So we are looking forward to that. Don't forget the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix goes all through the day, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, all the way until candle lighting. If you have not yet seen... The latest video that we posted last night, concentrating on the Pinot Grigio wine from Bartonura, you want to make sure to check it out. Go to the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. Again, that's the Facebook update page, simply entitled Nahum Siegel Network. And believe me, you'll be very happy with it. <laughs> it is really a fun, nice video. Barry Weber next. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Fuchs, uh, before that, Lipa off of the Kolakol Chavim album. Uh, that's Lipa with um, Yona Matzah. D-Done was done by Barry Weber. You're listening to a JM and the AM Friday. Thanks to, uh, for tuning in. We're live in New York City on this Friday Erev Shabbos. Parshas Vayetze with candlelighting at 4.08 on this Erev Shabbos. 4.08. Matis uh, has JM Sunday, Sunday morning. Rhonda Rosenheck, author of Yiddish Yoga. Yiddish Yoga is going to be joining him uh, Sunday morning. He also has news in English, as he has each and every week. So you can check that out and um, be part of the unique experience that we call JM Sunday every single Sunday morning, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um couple of events going on. First of all, the uh, we spoke about this at length during the live lunch yesterday. If you missed it, you can check out hour number two of yesterday's live lunch. Uh, the New York film premiere of Operation Wedding, the documentary about the desperate attempt of Soviet Jews to steal a Russian airliner and fly it to freedom, whose sensational 1970 trial and sentencing to years in the Gulag cracked open the Kremlin's doors to emigration to Israel, will be shown tomorrow night at Lincoln Square Synagogue. Starting at 8 p.m., film produced by the daughter of two of the plotters of what was called the Leningrad Hijack Affair. Uh, information, lss.org, lss.org. Uh, both Glenn Richter and um, the brother of one of the hijackers will be speaking tomorrow night. Glenn Richter, the student struggle for Soviet jury, and uh, Israel Zalmanson, brother of Silva, who was uh, one of the plotters. Um, the brother himself was one of the plotters, right? Correct. So they will be speaking uh, tomorrow night as well. 
Mayor Weingarten with an extended version of Mayor Me Lim and a whole bunch of other stuff tomorrow night at the Young Israel of Flatbush. Mincha's 405. After Mincha, he speaks during Sudachli Sheet. That's how it works. Mincha 405, and then he speaks Sudachli Sheet. Go and enjoy. Tonight is the uh, Kalbach Shabbat, Shabbat Karlibach, at the Mizrahi on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. 420 Mincha. Chazan Shirley Hirsch will be doing the Kalbach Shabbos starting tonight. Oneg in Beit Hanasi. That's all uh, tonight. Uh, enjoy that here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Congregation Talmud Torah of Flatbush with Rabbi Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik. He will speak on the topic of uh, Kohen King Rabbi Rosh Hashiva, models of Jewish leadership from the Maccabees till today. 8.15 tomorrow night, 13.05 Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn. Talmud Torah of Flatbush in Brooklyn, New York. More coming up, including our weekly update. Keep it here at JM in the AM. Comes from Shalshelis Jr. Listener Abe on our app is listening from Har Chama Yerushalayim. Says Shabbat Shalom to all. I want to thank all those who are commenting on our app this morning. And thanks to those who are commenting during bonus JM, which uh, happens before 6 o'clock in the morning, believe it or not. Seems to be a show of its own at this point with its own archive and everything. Um, so I thank those tuned in uh, very, very early in the morning. I want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com who continue to utilize our Incredible content for their uh, uh, news feed, um, which you should be checking out. It's not just uh, about Simchas. It's about so many amazing things going on in this world of ours. OnlySimchas.com. Check it out today and enjoy. Also, a big shout-out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend the Nachum Siegel Network to their hundreds of thousands of readers, which is much appreciated. And um, if you'd like, as we always say, to go and uh, print out thousands of articles before Shabbos 
on every topic you can imagine in the Jewish world. Go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. Good to be with you. So I guess a uh, statue of King Bibi is not a great idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you. Maybe it's premature. <laughs> it's funny. When that happened earlier in the week, I started saying to myself, because that was one of the speculations, is that if President Obama would have been allowed to run for a third term, he would have won. That was one of the you know, themes in the media uh, over the last year or so. And obviously one of the big differences between here and in Israel are term limits. And it's, and it's not just asking you whether it's a good idea for Israel. I was saying to myself, do you know if there were term limits, you know what it would put an end to? It would put an end to all these early elections that they call for. The prime minister would have to do everything in his power to make sure there was no early election because he would want just the opposite of what he, of what he wants now, and that is to complete his full term. Don't you think that would have a, a direct effect on the way politics works in Israel? I'm not sure anything can affect the way politics <laughs> works in Israel, but, uh, but uh, I think the prime minister... Uh, benefits from and also shares a burden from the the system as it is, and not just the question of term limits, but because of the coalition uh, system really does hamper them many times, and because small parties can therefore have excessive leverage in uh, in threatening to bring down a government, and nobody has the patience for elections uh, in, again in Israel, and it does not seem that they, they will be imminent, but. Uh, you know, I think uh, that some of the some of the glorification is also sometimes counterproductive. Do you remember any significant discussion in Israel regarding the possibility of term limits, or, or maybe we should call it time limits, for leadership as prime minister? Was there ever anything you recall in terms of a serious conversation about that? A serious conversation about. About term limits, about you know actually limiting the amount of time that someone could be prime oh, minister of oh, Israel. Does it come up in Israel? Yeah. Certainly, oh, it it's does come up come many up. times. But again, the system itself—don't forget—the average government of Israel lasts two and a half years. Right. This is uh, the exception uh, that Netanyahu and Netanyahu, you know, bypassed Ben Gurion as the longest-serving prime minister about two weeks ago. Uh, so th- yes, there have been numerous attempts or, or suggestions, both of reform of the system. Some reforms were enacted, but uh, not about uh, uh, limiting the number of years or the terms. But you see Merkel is running again. Right. You see that in Europe, Israel follows the European system much more than the American. Were there airstrikes from Israel to Hezbollah bases in Syria this week? There are. It is most likely that Israeli missiles hit um certain specified targets in in Syria where there may have been an attempt to transfer sophisticated weapons or even more alarming chemical weapons uh, according to press reports not based on any inside information but the words of the defense minister would certainly indicate that uh, he was acknowledging or or uh, hinting at in very blatant terms the actions that were taken over the last couple of weeks uh, but it's interesting that in the last strikes they did not use airplanes because they struck near the is the um, Damascus base, the military air force base, because you have the S three hundreds. Remember the Russian 
um, anti-aircraft system, defense missile defense system that that was in place uh, in in around Damascus that the Russians uh, sold, I guess, to Syria. Um, and if if in fact they used airplanes, that would have activated the systems. The missiles do not. Wow. It doesn't give them enough time. So Israel used what seems to be surface to surface missiles to take out uh, some key targets. Uh, I think they try to avoid any kind of civilian casualties, and they, they hit really at the targeted site. Now, right. that, number one, shows that they have very good intelligence if they're able to know about the shipments and exactly where they're located. And the people have reported that the explosions were, were uh, large uh, as a result of the attacks. Um, why would Hezbollah go out of their way to promise Russia no retaliation against Israel? Because no one wants to see that border heat up. Nobody wants to see... Including uh, them, including the enemy. Including the enemy, because they know that, that if they allow Israel to act now, they will obliterate the 150,000 missiles, or many of them, that Israel will take whatever action is necessary. And Israel, on its part, must send the message that they will not tolerate this, so there will be no escalation. We've seen numerous attempts you know, to move near the Golan, to move troops near the Golan, and the recent actions that uh, liberated, in their words, a- a parts of Aleppo from the rebel groups, you know, with this constant bombardment by Russia and the attacks by the Syrian army, and, and uh, especially uh, aided by the Hezbollah and the uh, militia groups, the Iranian militia and uh, other groups that are there, uh, has opened a direct corridor to the to the Golan from their power bases. So. It, it, it poses an additional threat that Israel has to monitor all the time. Yeah. And I think that the Russians have set limits also, and perhaps that's the result of the discussions between Putin and Netanyahu and others, that um, that they will not allow the escalation, that Israel would have to be free to, to take the actions it deems essential. And they've demonstrated great patience until now because they've been we know that the Hezbollah has built up its capacity. We see it in the equipment that they are bringing into into Lebanon. That they have very modern APC, you know, uh, personnel carriers and and uh, even tanks and other equipment. So for Israel, the margin is very very small because yeah. they have that huge capacity underground in in uh, in, in southern Lebanon uh, and uh, are. We remember they were caught as they tried to uh, build certain capacities near the Golan. Right. I mean, uh, is that the bigger factor, the Russian contribution to this? Because, you know, we know that, you know, there's been so much criticism over the years of Israel's preparedness or lack thereof up north. Uh, and, and it seems just a different atmosphere now. Is it a combination of both that Israel simply is much more prepared than they were five, ten years ago? And then, of course, the Russian element, as you just said, with them, with him, ready to safeguard things for Netanyahu a bit? Is it the two things together that have led to a more stable situation for Israel there? Well, Israel has taken many precautions in terms of their dealings with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is uh, a, a serious threat because of its capacity, you know, with a, a hundred and perhaps thirty, forty thousand missiles of different sizes um, and the, their deployment. The, the fact is that they are now battle-tested, having fought in Syria. This is not Hezbollah of, of earlier years. Right. And their capacity, while they've lost 
a lot of people in the fighting. The fact is that their capacity by virtue of the arms shipments and their relationship with Iran has increased. So, yeah, Russia does not want to see an escalation. I don't think the Iranians want to see uh, Israel given the trigger for uh, for an all-out assault on, on that capacity that they built up because, you know, they, they pay for a lot of it. And I think the... the um, Israel has done, you know, training on the, in the Golan to evacuate up to half a million people to do other things to uh, as a precaution so that the civil defense is, is in place, but also that Israel has to act preemptively because they can't allow uh, a buildup in the Golan. It could be that, you know, Assad and the others will one day decide, look, you know, we want to unite everybody, and what better to unite people than turn him against Israel. Right. I don't think it's imminent. It, it, it's like, I know it's overstating the obvious, but sometimes we forget that it's not just about you know manpower, it's not just about being prepared. And there's also a whole political factor which goes into uh, you know whether uh, in fact a country or a terror group would be inclined to attack or not. And sometimes we forget that part of it. Um, the settlement bill, so essentially this bill uh, would legalize, I guess we would say uh, retroactively, uh, a number of thousands of uh, residences, right, uh, homes in different settlement, what's called settlement areas of Israel. Uh, I think I've explained that correctly. If I have, then uh, th- the latest is that there's a push in Israel to keep this bill on the table and not and not go to its finality until after the inauguration of President Trump. Is that is that this, assess the situation properly? I think that's the the reasoning, and uh, it, it passed one reading. It has to pass three, and the and I know Netanyahu has not wanted to see this pass. It, it will evoke uh, reaction in the international community, and if we don't want to see action at the UN, if we don't want to see declarations uh, recognizing Palestinian state or taking sanctions against Israel, uh, then. The people who who uh, are uh, people are expressing concern about this legislation, uh, and would likely use it as a as uh, an excuse or a cover for that kind of action. And I think that um, the, the the gains one has to weigh against the potential losses or reaction uh, to it. So timing is very essential, and I think everybody wants to make sure that. Uh, and, and and they should not push everything off on the next administration because they're also going to have limits. And it's it's a question of what will happen at the UN. It's a question of what will happen in other fora uh, as a response to this. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah that's that's what I'm wondering about. It could be wishful thinking to think that there'll be a different reaction from the United States after January the 20th. So that's <coughs> excuse me. So that's one situation involving this that you just described in terms of the you know trying to balance whether it's a good idea for this bill to go forward um, when there's that threat, the U.N. threat, you know, Palestinian statehood threat or recognition of Palestine, whatever you want to call it, you know, on the other side. Then there's the other issue that this bill is is being looked at politically in Israel as sort of a balance to the whole Amona situation. Uh, there are people there are people who think that there'll be, there'll be a less violent and less of a strong reaction to the uh, disengagement from Amona if, in fact, this settlement bill goes through is that somewhat unrealistic because i would assume that people are, i i'm just assuming that people are really gearing up for this battle and we're going to see yet again the israeli army and police against civilians uh in a very heated battle no matter what happens uh toward the end of the amona situation i can't predict it but uh, i certainly hope not and i think you're right in pointing to the concern and the 
the attempt to, uh, I don't know if it's a balance, but the, um, you know, I understand why the United Nations has such little credibility when it comes to the concern and argument about it. Uh, you know, that last week among the six resolutions that uh, were passed by the United Nations, by rather overwhelming votes, 150 countries, 140 countries, including many of the Europeans, you know that one of them was to demand the return of the Golan. I mean, again, these are annual resolutions. Right. But given all the events in Syria and the killings of the of the Syrian population in the hundreds of thousands, all the other uh, ter- terrible situations and violations of human rights and rights, and et cetera, that are going on there, that they voted that Israel should return the Golan to Syria. They want them to give it to, the, to, to, to Assad now. They want Israel to turn over the Druze population and others to be <laughs> subjected to the same thing. So when people are skeptical, yeah, I understand why. But you have to look at it in its in the broader context and to see what uh, what is feasible, what the timing is. And I think the prime minister is taking lead in trying to play this uh, carefully. But unfortunately, in Israel, domestic politics generally dominate when it comes to often to sensitive uh, decisions. Right. And and you don't want the first crisis a, a new administration to face would be about an issue like this in the Golan. Uh, so even when they say put it off until after January 20th, till this, the new president is in place, um, still you don't want you know the first crisis that they have to deal with to be over this kind of legislation and and uh, maybe a decision at the United Nations or maybe other uh, measures. That oh, so so you're saying that the likelihood that it's going to create some type of reaction at the UN or among the enemies of Israel. Uh, is just as likely after January 20th. Like, there's no reason to suspect they would not, right? Not on their part. The Europeans are very strong on this. And right. You see that the destabilized situation in Europe, uh, look what's happening in Italy now, mm-hmm. with the resignation of uh, Rienzi, you know, it's a loss, the uh, election in, pa- in France, the, um, the the continuing in Britain and, and other countries there, um, and the... the um, Still, the, the, with France, for instance, facing an election, the Muslim population is ten times the Jewish population. I think that the, the political balance could, could would lean against Israel and people taking actions, and you, that's behind the drive now to have this Middle East peace conference. Even though Hollande is going out of office in a few months, yeah. it's it's almost a, a blind drive. Uh, for this, yeah, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio, heard exclusively around the world at NahumSiegel.com, the NSN network, and the NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. The um, I, I don't like, and the, the truth is, you've really taken the wind out of the, out of the sail at this point because you've uh, essentially said, you know, you don't think January twentieth is a a date worth uh, paying attention to in that regard in terms of the settlement bill. But in general, um, it, I, I think that the rule could be established, and I, I would guess you'd agree with this, that that Israel should never be following the American timetable, right? I mean, that, essentially, isn't that a good rule of thumb with mm-hmm. with very little exception? Israel has to be sensitive because it is their most important relationship, and and despite the fact that Israel's isolation is diminished, and um, Israel has many more relations in the United States, uh, the United States remains the most important relationship. 
yeah, so I think you're right that the too much emphasis and uh, it seems as if it, you know this becomes a license on January 20th to do what you want. That's not going to be the case. Right. And while some of the appointments that have been made are people who are uh, supportive, uh, we don't know what what the dynamic of the new administration is until it's in place and until it's it's you know able to find its footing in the, in the positions uh, that they take. Uh, there are positive things like. Um, General Kelly, who just appointed uh, Homeland. Homeland Security, uh, he was the head of the U.S. Southern Command, and one of the things that he really sounded the alarm about and was very proactive was about Iran's efforts to uh, counter U.S. influence and in Central and South America, and he warned often, as you know I've done on this show for years, about uh, Iranian activities in South America, uh, something that did not get the attention uh, till now that it it really deserves, and the the sense of urgency about it. They they've expanded their footprint, their presence throughout the region from Mexico to to Argentina. And he is somebody who is one of those who is very out front and and uh, outspoken on it. It's funny, you know, we we haven't we have not spoken about this in a while, and it was there was a time where every single week it was coming up in terms of South America and the. Uh, and the presence there. Uh, you know, but it, it, we fall victim to the same thing. You get tired of trying to knock on everybody's door and banging away at this issue. Right. But we constantly get reports uh, about these activities. They had a bit of a setback with Castro's passing, but Cuba remains Cuba and still the strongest ally and biggest problem of Iran in, in South America. Venezuela, uh, crises, economic crises, and, and since Chavez's uh, passing, um, you know, was somewhat diminished, but that that does not diminish their activities and their the extent of their work, including in Colombia, Panama, and other countries that we generally think are allies and and free of this problem. Back to France for a second. So when so BB already has declared that there's no way he's going to any type of of conference or summit the 21st of December, right? That he's sitting out for sure. The only thing he yeah. the only thing he yeah. agreed to was that if there's an Abbas meeting proposed there, he would go for some type of private meeting, right? And right. He said that he would not attend an international conference, right. but that if there was some sort of other arrangement where he and Abbas meet face-to-face and start talking, that he was prepared to come. So he didn't want to close the door and make it seem as if Israel is rejecting opportunity right. for negotiations. What he's saying is, I'm not going to come into an international setting, which is how the PA is able to bypass the negotiations and to... to um, uh, you know, put them in a situation where meaningful negotiations won't take place, but Israel again takes the brunt and, and the blame. Uh, and, and we saw this week, you know, that Abbas elevated Barghouti, Marwan Barghouti, who's serving five life sentences in Israeli jails. He's a founder of the Tanzin right. uh, militia and the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade. Uh, so he elevated him in, in their central command, even though he, he's, as I said, in, in prison. And we saw the outcome of this uh, conference where it seems Jabril Rajub was a major uh, winner, uh, but the, he is still consolidating his hold uh, and trying to protect his kleptocracy and the financial gains that they have, they have made. But there's a very uh, unstable situation within the, the PA, and uh, just as we've seen, by the way, in Gaza, Hamas and Islamic Jihad were fighting uh, this week. 
uh, and is, uh, Israelis were training along the Gaza border for a mass infiltration incident because we know the buildup in Hamas and, and, and again that Iran is supplying them. So uh, Abbas, uh, coming out of this conference, seems to have, again, uh, avoided the bullet that they did not name a successor. Um, and there will be a lot of jockeying, despite uh, Jibril and Robert Jube's apparent uh, emergence in a stronger position, able to put key people, allies of his, in, in key positions. It's funny how some names always come up. Bargudi, even you know where he's based, which is essentially an Israeli prison, right? Uh, right. It's amazing the influence he continues to have all these years. I mean, his name has been bandied about for God knows how long. He's number one in in the, the polls. Uh, it comes out usually the best. Uh, and but you know he's able to operate. Israel gives the prisoners a lot of freedom to communicate and to um, uh, and and he's become a symbol. And and they keep uh, escalating his uh, his position and and being in jail. Of course, they they make them martyrs. Right. Um, yeah. And. The, and the big issue this week, by the way, which really is coming to the fore, something we've talked about, is the money that is going to uh, the, the terrorists, the $300 million that goes out of the Palestinian budget. Uh, there were senators who today, this week, addressed it. There are others who are addressing it and putting a lot of pressure on the PA that the funding of terrorists, uh, of these murderers, and the more they murder, the more they get, uh, has to stop, and they they pulled a parliamentary maneuver to have the money come from the PLO. Instead, you know, they would transfer to the PLO, and PLO would pay them. Uh, that sham is being exposed, and I hope that the pressure will continue to, to end this practice. You mentioned John Kelly's uh, appointment. Why do you think it's taking so long for the president-elect to uh, choose a secretary of state? Uh, it's a good question. I'm not privy to the inside negotiations, but you know there are now at least six or seven candidates that are, are being discussed. Uh, I guess some come in and then um, I don't know whether they just get put on the list and they're weighing it. But it's a very important appointment. Uh, he's already appointed three generals, so I don't know that another military person is, is likely. Uh, the question about uh, some of the other names, uh, some of which are very good, and some of which I think we would have some concerns about. Um, you know, he's weighing it carefully because, you know, this is the nation's chief diplomat, and obviously he wants to see somebody who will have the opinions and the views and be able to represent the United States in the way that, that he envisages it. Yeah. So I think it just, I think that we will see an announcement uh, soon because I think they want to wrap up at least the key positions uh, in the coming week or so. And it must be frustrating for you that the Conference of Presidents was tossed into this whole political arena this week you, you, you can't even go and uh and uh and and uh, host a party at a trump hotel without getting the media all over you these days well it isn't the media i, I think it's very regrettable that certain people used language and took actions which were uh very uh, to say the least unfortunate inappropriate improper um but it's not us we didn't rent the place it was the embassy of azerbaijan a muslim country wanted to do something, a nice gesture, a country that has for 2,600 years hosted Jews without any anti-Semitism, is a key ally of Israel, the Prime Minister of Israel visiting there these days, and and uh, they rented uh, the Trump home. We had only two conditions, one, that had to be kosher, and two, it needed to be near the White House walking distance because the Hanukkah parties are before and after the White House Hanukkah parties, and people who would come 
from one or go to the other needed to be close by. So they won. Here you have a Muslim country hosting a Hanukkah party, which we co-hosted, and paying tribute to the countries that um, uh, helped Israel during the fires. And the the reaction is not only irrational, but for one thing, that you know, saying that this enriches Trump, that or that it's a what did he use the gesture? A gesture to. No, about the sycophancy that this is somehow oh, right, that, uh, right, that that right. that Trump knows who rents the room for two hours, right. and right now he's still a private citizen. Right now he's not the president, so there's no business conflict of interest. After January twentieth, that's a different story. People can make a decision whether to use a facility. Right now, it's not a conflict, a business conflict, and it's really people who are not willing to accept the outcome of the election and who react in such uh, harsh ways. Even against uh, Azerbaijan, I mean, these same people don't worry about going to Cuba and don't talk about uh, uh, the um, far greater violators of human rights and who work against Jewish and Israel interests, whereas Azerbaijan has been, uh, I would say, heroic in that regard. Uh, and, you know, the, the mountain Jews are even mentioned in the Talmud. They've been there for 2,600 years and uh, lived in security. So I have to say it's, I think it's very unfortunate, the politicization and the um, pressures that are being brought to bear. But you know what? You have to be big boys. You have to stand up for what you believe in. I'm not uh, friends in, in Azerbaijan and other Muslim countries who are coming to this event, I think, should be saluted and, and thanked for, for this uh, gesture. Every, these same people talk about reaching out and building bridges, you know, but it, it's, it's only when they are the control the tolbooths and when it's on their terms. And I think, you know, the... Um, some of the public outcry really uh, does not make any sense, and, and it's totally inappropriate language used by those who, who preach civility but don't practice it at times. Well said, Malcolm. Rouhani said this week that he will not allow uh, um, Donald Trump to, to rip up the nuclear deal. So my question is, what's his strategy? Is he going to be uh, employing a lobbying group in Washington? Is he is he going to uh, figure out some way to uh, to try to buy off the president? Uh, I mean, what what kind of what kind of uh, role does he think he could have in preventing Trump from uh, adjusting or ripping up the nuclear deal? Well, I I don't think it's necessary to tear up the JCPOA in order to make changes and to make the deal more effective and to you know re- reimpose some sanctions. And it, it, right now he's complaining about the passage of the. Iran Sanctions Act, which was imposed 10 years ago, and as you know, in the Senate passed 99 to 0, and the House 419 to 1, which I think pretty much is a, a, a sign of uh, support, uh, of overwhelming support. Oh, that's so and, and, and so it's the reimposition of those sanctions, and they're claiming that under the agreement that they were not supposed to be renewed. I don't know how that kind of an agreement could have been reached the also the um you know there's been a lot of discussion about many documents that are not classified but haven't been revealed publicly that talk about the nature of the concessions that talk about many aspects of the jcpoa and the trump administration's people have been indicating that they will release these documents members of congress have seen them but they've seen them under conditions for instance in closed hearings and things where they can't reveal 
what uh, what the documents say. But even Democratic senators were calling for for making these documents uh, public, including those some of those who voted for the deal. So the the um, uh, the Iranians are reacting very strongly to the uh, um, uh, to the possibility of of a change. They're, they went to the UN this week and said that the US, U.S. will be responsible for any consequences right. of the breach. They keep threatening uh, actions. Um, in fact, Europe this week banned uh, an Iranian airline, uh, Asiman Airlines, when while Iran is busy buying up everything that they can get, and 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 the Gulf Cooperation Council, which includes Saudi Arabia, met this week, and the Prime Minister of Britain said that they would help uh, push back against Iranian aggression in the region. Uh, and these are the same people who seem to vote in favor of Iran, not the, the GCC. They won't. They don't. And as you know, eleven countries signed a public declaration against uh, Iran for its efforts to destabilize uh, the governments there. And the um, some of the Arab countries, the GCC countries, re- retorted that Britain should outlaw the Muslim Brotherhood, which is using, they say, Britain uh, to organize against them and uh, act as an extension, also. Of, of these efforts to to uh, undermine the regimes, so the the, uh, the Iranians have taken a number of actions, including talking about expanding their naval capacity, but having destroyers in the Straits of of um, Babel Mandab, which I mentioned last week, and we learned more about. But their aggressive behavior. So Congress is now looking about measures and talking of measures that would address not just the nuclear deal. So you don't have to tear up the JCPOA, which might be difficult and put us in opposition, but to strengthen it, to revise it, to add new restrictions and uh, potentially new sanctions against the banking regime, for instance. Uh, I think that the economic benefits Iran got were, were less than people said, but they certainly got a lot of cash and a lot of benefits to the to the leadership. It sounds like you're ready to say to the new president, you know, forget the hype of the Iran deal and and all those uh, you know statements you made. And concentrate concentrate more on what's happening now and addressing Iran's aggressive behavior. Well, I think that's the most immediate thing, and I think that President Trump has uh, elect Trump has did discuss this during the campaign yeah. and talked about the need to take more serious action. And I think that the Iranians react to how strong they think the determination of the other side is. And if they think there's weakness and if they see that they can get away with it, uh, with the many aggressive actions that they've taken against our ships, against other shipping in the Persian Gulf, against... Um, against uh, our sailors of launching the missiles, the violations of human rights, the aggressive behavior to support for Hezbollah and Hamas, etc., etc. There's a long list uh, which they've been able to do with impunity. They, they, they need to see a strong reaction to it. And, you know, if they harass our ships, if they threaten our, our uh, um, carriers and our destroyers in, in uh, and their freedom of movement, well, you got to take a tougher action against it, and believe me, it will only happen once. And the, the you know, they just probe for weakness, which they can then uh, explore. And you know, the, the, so much still comes that will come out about the deal and about other things. You know, we saw what Ben Rhodes said, how they lied about right. Rahani being a moderate, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we don't know how much more is beneath the surface there. And why do you suspect that's going to happen? Because it changed the administration. All of a sudden, we're going to discover. Well, first so much of all, more? he said it. He said it in interviews. He boasted about no, no. how they lied and distorted. No, that I know. But why do you suspect that more will come out now because of the transition in Washington? 
No, because we have indications that there is a lot more in these documents. Oh, no matter who's in the White House, you're saying that more is just coming out. Simple as that. Right, and that's why I pointed out that Democratic senators were calling for the release of this information and uh, wanting to know all the concessions and saying that this stuff has to be made public. Right. Um, we spoke about the settlement bill earlier. Is is all this and the atmosphere that you've described to us this morning, um, you know, some might be fooling themselves into thinking that after January 20th things are going to be different, let's say, uh, when it comes to attitude toward Israel. Uh, does this does this um, temper the uh, the thought that there'll be more annexing uh, in Israel of, of different areas, uh, Malayo Dumim and, and others? I mean, is it, it are, do we again have to uh, adjust to the fact that as much as people want to celebrate that now Israel is going to be able to get away with certain things, the likelihood is that when it comes to annexing, for instance, there's not going to be much change? Well, don't forget, it's not just what happens in the United States, even though obviously that's the most important right. uh, country in the relationship. But Israel has to be concerned. Uh, Europe is its biggest trading partner. Uh, and while they're diversifying with uh, Asia, with others, it's still very important. And, um, you know, the, the there are things that can be done despite what the U.S. position may be, even though the sanctions that count are the ones from the Security Council. But... Israel has to weigh a lot of things in a, when you have volatile situations you have in the Middle East, and we have budding relationships with countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, even if some of them are done under the cloak of night, but these relationships are very important in the cooperation that could come. And, you know, th- these countries also have uh, domestic considerations to, to worry about and in the, in the reactions. So it's it's not just that Israel can act freely. That people put the pressure on the prime minister and saying, "Why doesn't he do this or that?" I mean, you got to be. It's all tempered by reality, and and they have to take into account many considerations about what the, this means. And if you look at the polls in the United States, there the, there's a lot of concern and uh, opposition and. It doesn't mean that that we make decisions based on it. Israel has to make decisions based on its national interest, but also we shouldn't make decisions just based on domestic politics. Yeah, uh, you know, if you if you listen back to some of the things you said to us before November eighth, it essentially was you know don't don't think that that the presidential election is going to be the key here. Remember, you were trying to get us to focus on congressional races, mm-hmm. uh, other important races. I, I think if, if we would have realized that Trump had a realistic chance, which, of course, not, I don't think any of us really thought that was going to happen, you probably would have warned us about a similar thing before the election. Don't think just because it's likely he'll win that all of a sudden Israel is going to be able to do whatever it wants. And it seems like that's what Israel, in both the press and among certain government officials, is suffering from right now where they're thinking that all of a sudden the magic of January 20th is going to allow you know, Israel to do what it wants without any worldwide negative reaction. And, and, and there are people there who are using this or creating this for their own agendas. Right. And, and you've got to look at it in the broader thing. I, I, as much as we might sympathize with the goals or, and, and some, some of this and the concerns that are being expressed, uh, it, it doesn't occur in a vacuum. Again, I think Israel has to do what is necessary for its defense and its rights, and we have to. Uh, uh, um, uh, we understand that there, that there are a wide variety of points of view, but I think that the prime minister walks a tightrope in in all of this. As as you know, he's visiting Azerbaijan, I think Kazakhstan, other countries, and he's going then on a tour in, in Australia and other countries 
well, the reception that he gets in the base on which, you know, Israel's international standing is also impacted yeah. by these things. 100%. Even though the Attorney General in Australia said he would no longer refer to it as occupied territory. Right, which I guess is a victory, right? That's a very important statement, which others said it. Um, he has no trip planned to the U.S., correct? I mean, he hasn't announced anything. There is no date yet set for a meeting, and it, and it would be premature now. Anyway, and you would, and you would, and you would suspect what February, March, I mean, sometime before Pesach, he's going to be here. You would, you'd assume. Uh, well, maybe he'll come for you know he usually traditionally comes for the APAC conference. Or ah, there'll be other occasions. Right, good point. But you know they got to wait until everybody finds the bathrooms, knows where everything is in the White House, <laughs> and start really focusing. <coughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, contacts. Uh, between the ambassador here and others and, and the new administration. Right. And, and finally, with the small number of indictments regarding the fires from a few weeks ago in Israel, is it likely that one can conclude it was more, uh, you know, the, the weather conditions than arson or not necessarily? I mean, there are conflicting reports that uh, still come out about uh, about the causes, and some say it was the majority were because of, of the weather, that once the fire started, right. and it may not have started because of terrorism, but they picked it up when they realized that this, you know, this is, and it, but it's a weapon that has been used before against Israel. And, so, and, and some communities are preparing now because they're, they're convinced it'll be used again. Exactly, and and so Israel did improve its capacity in in fighting, but again needed to turn to what eleven countries sending in planes and and personnel um, to to help, plus the PA, um, the uh, and and you know the when they see the incitement continues on on PA television, um, that when they see the uh, other stuff that's uh, taking place, so Israel's always has to be on alert to any kind of new. And manifestations, whether it's the violence or whether it's the, uh, you know, the attacks and and uh, fire is is a tool of arsons yeah, of, uh, of terrorists. Of terrorists yeah. And um, this is, it, it, you know, it's it's very costly. It's not only took many people's homes. I spoke to people from different areas whose family or themselves their homes were were damaged, and it will be months before they'll be able to get back in, yeah. and not just from fire, but also smoke damage and. Uh, the general situation, some areas were not habitable uh, yet. Right. All right. Um, uh, White House, a future White House officials keep listening to us every week. Malcolm, we're giving out amazing advice, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> we always do, and we wish them well. We look forward to the next appointments and uh, have a chance to get to know more about those that have so far been uh, uh, been chosen. Yeah. And look, it'll be there are critical decisions ahead, and um, I hope people don't just jump to conclusions, but give the new administration the same uh, leeway or, or opportunity as we would give in any administration. Uh, but I understand that it'll take time till some people come to terms with the outcome. Understood. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful shop. Okay. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline. Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM. Candlelighting at 4.08 on this Arab Shabbos, our very own Mayor Weingarten. Tomorrow, right after the 4.05 Mincha, he speaks at the Young Israel of Flatbush with an extended me, uh, Mayor Milim and a bunch of other great stuff as you'd expect from Mayor Weingarten. That's at the Young Israel of Flatbush tomorrow after the 4.05 Mincha. Reminder, the Kalbach Shabbos here on the Lower East Side. Starts 420 Mincha today at the Mizrahi. Keep that in mind. And Congregation Talmud Torah of Flatbush as Rabbi Mayor Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik tomorrow night, part of their fall lecture series that starts at 815 uh, at the Talmud Torah of Flatbush.
1305 Coney Island Avenue. And Operation Wedding, which is that documentary you spoke about at length yesterday during the live lunch, uh, the film premiere uh, on the desperate attempt of Soviet Jews to steal a Russian airliner and fly it to freedom in 1970. Uh, that is being shown tomorrow night, Lincoln Square Synagogue on the Upper West Side. Starts at 8 p.m., and that looks like an amazing and incredible presentation. Uh, this time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in uh, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And we say, good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good have Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayetze. Parshas Vayetze is a most exciting Parsha. We read at the end of last week's Parsha of Toldos that father and mother, Yitzchok and Rivka, tell Yaakov that he is to go to the home of her brother, Rivka's brother, Lavan, and take from there, from among his two daughters, one for a wife. Yaakov was 63 years old when he received the blessing from his father. The last long Rashi in Toldos gives us that exact pinpointed information. Yaakov, according to tradition, spends 14 years preparing himself for going into, quote, exile, leaving Eretz Yisrael, dealing with the non-Jewish world, if we can speak. And he arrives at Lavan's home at 77. The next 20 years of his life are clearly presented to us in a way that we see that Yaakov builds Beis Hashem. He builds the house of Israel, a house dedicated to God. But I would like to ask a very simple question for which there is no simple answer. And the question is that Yaakov is destined to marry Rachel and Leah. Why must it be done in such a circumlocutious, roundabout way? In other words, why couldn't twelve tribes come from Rachel. I saw a very exciting possible answer by Reb Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin in his pre on Parshas Vayetze wherein he quotes extensively from the Zohar And it is this idea that I'd like to share with you this morning. The nature of Yaakov, we know, is Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Oholim. He's a complete, wholesome individual who is drawn towards the yeshiva 
and who is the epitome of Torah study. Yaakov, when he first sees Rachel and he meets her at the well in Choran, so what does the Torah tell us that it was, if I can use that expression, love at first sight. The Torah tells us that he sees Rachel and he is clearly attracted to her. And the Torah informs us that Vayehav Yaakov es Rachel. Why might this be? Suggests the Zohar that Rachel was more drawn naturally into the Alma de Iskasia, more into the hidden aspects of this world. This is certainly in keeping with her nature. The Gemara tells us in Megillah, Yud Gimel Amid Beis, that at the very top of the page, Bishar Tznius Shahoyisa Ba Berachel, as a reward for the modesty that was exhibited by Rachel, Zachsa Vyatsamimena Shaul. She merited that Shaul, the first king, who also was outstanding in his tsnius, in his modesty, descended from her. And Bishar Tsnius Shahoya Bobishaul, and as a reward for the modesty that Shaul demonstrated, he Zacha Vyatsamimena Esther. Queen Esther, also the modest one, came from Shaul. Rachel is Tsonua. When you put the Ishtam and you put the Tsonua together, what do you get? Notes the Zohar, Tzadikim, of the highest nature, Yosef, and Binyamin, and interestingly, take note, as does the Zohar, it is only these two of the twelve tribes that are known as Yosef Hatzadik, Binyamin Hatzadik. The other tribes were great. Kings, prophets, high priests, all came from them, but they were not known as the Tzadik. Interestingly, carrying this a step further, Leah was more involved in Alma de Isgalia, in the more revealed this worldliness, as opposed to her sister Rachel in the more concealed, hidden next worldliness. And so, when we're told on the puzzle, the Ene Leia Rakos, literally, that the eyes of Leia 
were, as is oftentimes translated as tender, or perhaps even sore. So Rashi makes famous the Gemara in Baba Basra, 123a, that tells us that what was the talk on the street? What was everybody saying? Two bro- a brother and a sister. The brother has two daughters. The sister has two sons. Let the older one be for the older one and the younger for the younger. If you think about it, Esau, who was a man of the world, he would go to Leah. Yaakov, who was a man more withdrawn, he should go to Rachel. It worked. However, Esau, because of last week, Vayivez Esau es because Esau turned his back completely on spirituality, Leah cried, saying she wants more. She doesn't want an Esau. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who wanted that as Leah had her focus more on this worldliness and on the div- diversified nature of this worldliness, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that Yaakov needed as well as in last week, that Yitzchak wanted, according to the Beis HaLevi, to give the bracha of Birkas Avraham, of spirituality, to Yaakov, and the bracha of this worldliness to Esav, and hoping that Esav would complement and support his brother Yaakov, but Rivka, and in this situation, Mami knows best and knew best that you can't rely upon an Esav to work together with a Yaakov and to value his learning of Torah. So Yaakov had to take both. Yaakov again needs to have not only children coming from a Rachel, but he needs children also coming from Aleah, whose character, whose personality, whose bent on life is more this worldliness, so that he could have as well a more diversified family and have children of all different nature, because that is the significance of the Shifteikah, that they're all different, but they're all focused on taking their strengths and taking their talents and taking their character and channeling it towards Hashem. And so explains the Pritzadik, this is why you needed this incredible Hashgacha Pratis. You needed that God should cause a blackout on the night that Yaakov was to marry Rachel. You needed, as we're told in the fifth book, that when the Torah warns, be careful, lest success go to your head. And therefore, in Parshas Akev, the Torah warns that the successful Jewish 
businessman, farmer, should not say, Kochi v'otsem yodi, osali es that after all, my strength, my initiative, has brought me all this success. Rather, in chapter 8, Pasuk 18, the Torah says, V'zacharta es Hashem elokecha, you are to remember God, He gives you the potential to literally be successful, and as Unkelis explains it, he gives you Eitzah, the advice, God gave Rachel the incredible opportunity for Mesiras Nefesh, that she would give the password which Yaakov had prearranged with her in case his father-in-law, known for his trickery, would try to deceive him just that by giving him Leah. And so he had a simonim password with Rachel who in turn, rather than embarrass her sister, gives this over, explains, and now, with the help of this Zohar, we can appreciate how the Hashkocha Pratis, God's divine personal intervention, is involved here, that Yaakov should not only bring forth Yosef and Binyamin, Sadikim of the highest caliber, but also he should bring out the rest of the Shiftaika who had a more this worldliness bent on life. So that kings and high priests and Sanhedrin and businessmen and scholars and farmers could and would emerge from Yaakov. What we see in this parsha is incredible Hashkocha Pratis, God's personal intervention in the life of Yaakov, in the destiny of the Jewish people. And I believe that each and every one of us, as we review the parsha and listen to Kriyas HaTorah, on some level, we are to take out Yaakov's name and put in your own. What does that mean? You are to see the Hashgacha Pratis in your life, just as we see it in the life of Yaakov. When you come home from a day's work, and you're about to go into your home, Vayikra El Moshe is the Pasuk in the Torah that our rabbis teach us that ideally one should knock on their own door before they enter their home. Not only to let the people in the home know that someone is coming in, but more than that, reflect for a moment, regardless as to how taxing, trying the day was prior to your coming home, stop, you are now about to enter the realm of Hashkocha Pratis, that God prepared this woman 
for you. And therefore, your whole perspective and the way you act and the way you treat her and the way the home uh, is, please God, fashioned and the future direction to which you wish the home to take as a synthesis between Rachel and Leah, between the world of Askasia, the Jew knowing when and where and how to withdraw, as well as the realm of Alma Disgalia being involved, contributing to society, taking from society. This is that which we learn from the Parsha and to appreciate especially the Hashgacha Pratis, the divine providence in each and every one of our personal lives. Shabbat Shalom to all. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. My thanks to all of you for tuning in from around the world. You're listening to the Nachum Segal Network, JM in the AM on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candlelighting at 4.08 on this Erev Shabbos. 4.08 in the New York area on this Erev Shabbos. Well, she is the um, the host of Table for Two. Uh, which has had an unbelievably successful run on the Nahum Siegel Network, I'm proud to say. And uh, earlier this week, we found out the news that um, the folks at Artscroll, who are brilliant publishers, but this week really displayed their brilliance, have decided to um, uh, to sign a book deal with Naomi Nachman and have her uh, release a book with them in the early part of 2017. She hosts a table for two, which starts just about 17 minutes from now, right here at the Nahum Siegel Network after JM in the AM, and preceding our Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix. Chef Naomi Nachman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. How are you? Always well, makes me laugh when you say chef. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I tell it like it is. Let's start with today, then we'll get into the even bigger news. Uh, today, you are hosting Chef Yoni Seletsky cookbook author Amy Stupnicki to discuss her brand new book, Kosher Taste, and Simon Springer, owner of the Gourmet Roasters Collective. And I remind everybody that this season, the Kitchen Click is sponsoring some great contests and giveaways on table for two. So there's always excitement, not just among your guests, but always excitement in general when it comes to table for two. So all that's happening starting at 9 o'clock. The video is already up at NahumSiegel.com. People can start watching that after JM and the AM. Any other details about today that you want to give us? Okay, so we had a great we had a great time uh, preparing for the show. We we uh, uh, Simon Springer is a friend of mine from the Five Towns, but he was actually born in Seattle, and you know what came from Seattle? Yep, good old Starbucks. coffee, Starbucks, Starbucks coffee. coffee. Yeah, I was actually at the first Starbucks coffee um, when we were in Seattle in, in the summer, and oh. I kind of like turned on my uh, Facebook Live, and I basically did a table for two straight from there, interviewing all the people um, from Starbucks. <laughs> That's cool. um, but it was really cool. So Simon is from Seattle, and he knows good coffee and he started a coffee company um, out here in New York and he came on and he came into the studio when he made us pour over coffee um, in the studio and spoke about what makes good coffee. Um, Amy Stopicki has a great new kosher. It was, it was released towards the end of the summer. It was just hard to coordinate to get her on earlier. She released a book called Kosher Taste. Um, she's up in Toronto. I don't know if I said that. Um, and and then Yoni is amazing. Seleska, he owns call, a, a company called Take a Break Catering. He's actually a cousin of a friend of mine. And what you, like, I, I do... 
like private home catering, like personal chef catering. Right. But he has actually something unique where you're going away for Shabbos. It's called Shabbos in a box. You know, Pretty before, cool. For, I thought it was really cool. And everything, everything you need, huh? Everything you need is there. Everything you need, you know, soup to nuts, literally, in a box. Um, you get some choices of what you want, and it was really good value and so delicious. And he only makes the world's best pretzel challah. He gave me some to take home. It was insane. So, um, yeah, we, ha- we had a really good time. And Jay Booksam actually popped in. was really funny because uh, he was around uh, the studio doing some, um, uh, some of his recordings for right. his uh, slot, commercial slot, so to speak. Right. So he joined us for a few minutes because he knows food and he knows wine. And, of course, he knew coffee. So he joined us for some coffee on the show as well. So it was a great time. Two of my favorite things, Pretzel Khala and Jay Booksbaum. Excellent. <laughs> That's all. I actually gave one of Yanni's colors to Jay. Oh, did you? Jay? Yeah, he was very happy about that. Jay got it before any of us. Huh? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to head to Elizabeth to enjoy some of that, assuming there's still some left over yeah, there. Yeah, right. I doubt it. <laughs> all right, Naomi Nachman comes up at nine o'clock. It's the newest edition of Table for Two. You can watch the video at NachumSiegel.com. Now, the big news, of course. I mean, we were so delighted. And we're so glad that the world is reacting the way they are uh, to the big news that your first cookbook is going to be done with Art Scroll. It is scheduled for the early part of 2017, right? Yep, in time for Pesach. And what is the, I don't know, I don't know if you know if there's a working title, what's the theme? It's the wording, a working title. And we actually did, my photographer is the super talented Miriam Pascal otherwise known as the Overtime Cook. She's an right. amazing photographer. If you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see some of the photos and behind-the-scenes stories that we're doing. But we did a Facebook Live video yesterday preparing a photo shoot, and we said anybody who comes up with a name for the book is going to get a signed autograph copy from me nice. and Miriam. Nice. So keep, send me the name, Naomi, okay. at com, okay. and you could be a winner if your name is picked for my book. Naomi at com. She seriously has no title yet for the book. How about the theme? What, I mean, people people think of a name. They want to know what the what's the goal and the theme of the book. So, great question. It's a, it's a Pesach cookbook. I've been making Pesach for 23 years. I've had my catering business for 13 or 14 years already. Um, and Pesach is kind of like my brand. And I came, I came up with all these amazing recipes over the last, you know, X number of years. And I've, I've kind of put them together a book. New, interesting stuff as well. So, stuff that is recipes that have never been seen for in a Pesach cookbook before. Okay. It's really different. And Miriam Pascal is the most talented photographer and food stylist. She's been a pleasure to work with. She moved into my house. My house has been turned upside down. It looks like a Manhattan phot- photography studio. Um, so my friends have been invited, uh, inviting us out for Shabbos. So thank you to Rivka Boim <laughs> for nice. having us for the Shabbos because my house is crazy. But it's um, Excellent. It's really amazing, and, and I want, you know, people are going to want to buy two versions of this book because the recipes are perfect for Pesach, of course, but you're going to want to use them all year round, so you might want to put one away in your Pesach box and keep another one out on the shelf for during the year because they're just fresh, healthy recipes. All right, Naomi already predicting double the number of sales than originally predicted. <laughs> yeah, because um, I know you like that one. <laughs> well, what, what was the brutal negotiation with Art Scroll like? Tell me. No, they're cool. He's, they're wonderful. No brutal, no brutal discussions. Yeah. Like he just said, "Great, you've got. Yeah, I love your excitement for food." I'm like, "Great," <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, it was, I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. I'm sure it was. A, <laughs> I'm sure it was a really nice uh, negotiation. It's all settled, and you're ready to continue working on it. And uh, I guess the bulk of the work is happening right now, right? It's right, all right. right. And now. we're under. You know, this came up right after Sukkot. Probably this is the fastest thing I've ever done. I work really well under pressure, ah, good. and it's just. 
going fast and we're, we're working like crazy and it's, you know, within a couple of months the book will be ready and ready to go. And they- and Naomi Nachman, Table for Two, coming up at 9 a.m. All right, uh, final point. Uh, you are looking for people who are interested in entering the Chopped competition that you're going to be running at Gourmet Glot on mm-hmm. December the 19th. December the 19th at 8 p.m., Naomi is hosting a special Table for Two pre-Hanukkah presentation. It's going to be a Chopped competition at Gourmet Glot in the Five Towns. If you want to be a participant, you can email Naomi at the uh, following unique address, Kosher chopped, that's C H O P P E D, kosher chopped at gmail.com. And they email you there. Uh, people could pitch why they think they should be included in that competition. And that sounds like a lot of fun. It's going to be a good night on the 19th. It's going to be great. And Chef Aitan Bernas, the 14 year old uh, contestant from the actual television show Chopped, who's right. been a frequent guest on Nakam Single Network, right. has agreed to be one of our judges, along with some other extreme celebrity judges. <laughs> You can so, announce those. Uh, s- some of whom know nothing about judging cooking contests, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give it our best shot. I can tell you that. You much. will do an amazing job, and we've got some some in the lineup, and there's going to be great prizes, and just people should come and hang out and watch Chopped and shop at Gourmet Glad. It's they're doing an incredible job right now. All right, and we'll talk more and more about it as we get closer, obviously. But if anybody wants to be in it, they got to get to you now at kosherchopped at gmail dot com. Kosherchopped c h o p p e d at gmail.com. All right, Naomi, we're going to enjoy today's show. Cause ag- again, Mazal Tov on the big book news. And have a wonderful Shabbat. Thank you. Stay warm, everybody. There she is, uh, Naomi Nachman, Aussie Gourmet, host of uh, Table for Two right here at the Nachum Segal Network. Ten minutes from now, you'll hear her latest installment of that great program. Plenty more on a Friday Arab Shabbos at JM in the AM.
Goldwag with Menucha Vesimcha, a bit of the schlock rock Shabbat in Liverpool or that. JM and AM Friday morning as we get set to wrap things up. Naomi Nachman next with the um, incredible table for two program. The video is up at NachumSiegel.com on the homepage. Kedem's presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. That should be your soundtrack, as Mark Zamek says, and he's right. Your soundtrack for Shabbos preparation should be the Arab Shabbos music mix from our friends and uh, the wonderful people at Kedem. Have you seen the latest Bartanura video that we posted at Nachum Siegel Network? Check it out on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, the latest Bartanura video about their Pinot Grigio from our visit to uh, Bartanura in Italy a couple of weeks ago. It's pretty cool. And those of you who want Naomi Nachman's address, if you want to suggest a name for her book, Naomi at NachumSiegel.com. Naomi at NachumSiegel.com. Simple as that. Time to say good job. It's Journeys on the Radio. This is JM in the AM.
Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio, heard exclusively around the world at NahumSingle.com, the NSN network, and of course the NSN app. And I thank everybody for tuning in. Our first complete week in the uh, digital only platform and a very successful one, I am glad to say. And that will wrap up an amazing Friday program on this era of Shabbos. Naomi Nachman is next. Table for two. Kedem presentation of the era of Shabbos music mix follows. Make sure that's your soundtrack all through the day as you prepare for Shabbos. It's an amazing way to prepare for a Shabbos. And the Matis on JM Sunday with special guest Rhonda Rosenheck, author of Yiddish Yoga. Join Matis starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend till Monday morning. Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>